The Water Values Podcast, Session 110. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resource, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. We have a great uh, guest. It's actually a follow-up interview on on uh, episode 103 uh, with Peter Nelson and Walter Block today. Uh, this is the Libertarianism and Water Part 2 podcast, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, as always, a little bit of housekeeping before we start. I want to thank uh, Sean Dogwood for the great rating and review on iTunes. Sean says, uh, informative, interesting, and engaging. I'm a student about to graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Hydrologic Management. Naturally, I'm still finding out which niche of the water sector really attracts me. This podcast allows me to discover knowledgeable individuals from a range of corners of water, around the country. Thanks and keep it up. Well, Sean, you're very welcome. I'm glad you uh, uh, find the podcast informative and interesting. So I really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Thanks so much. And and for those of you who have enjoyed the podcast and haven't yet rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or whatever other podcast directory you're listening on, please consider leaving that rating and review. It really help others find out about the podcast and uh, get the word out. Uh, also, for those of you uh, who've been enjoying the podcast and have rated and reviewed it, consider making a donation. Uh, you can do that via the website. There's a little PayPal button. You scroll down a little bit, uh, and it helps uh, defray the costs of putting the podcast on. You know, there's hosting costs. There's all kinds of costs that, that go into putting the podcast on, and uh, your contribution uh, is greatly appreciated. Well, let's get to uh, the topic today. We have Walter Block and Peter Nelson on, and they're going to talk about uh, their book, Water Capitalism. And th- this interview is, uh, it's an extended interview. It's 55 minutes long, and we get into a, uh, a wide range of subjects, and we actually get a little far afield of water, as I indicate in the, in the interview, and that's on me. I apologize for those of you who, who just wanted focus to be on water. We, we started getting into, the we, we did, a, we actually talked a lot about the, a framework for regulating water, and we did that in the context of uh, uh, how do you transition? Is it minarchist, as they indicate, or anarchist? Um, and so, I, I mean, it may not directly impact water, but it does impact the framework in which water is regulated. So, I think I, I, I think it's still valuable to consider whether or not. Uh, this is the type of framework that you want your water rights or your your the use of water regulated in. So I think it's very interesting from that perspective. So I I want to thank Peter and Walter for uh, doing a great job explaining their positions. Uh, so with that said, open the valves, fasten your seat belts, and here we go. Well, Walter Block and Peter Nelson, thank you both for coming on. Peter, for you for the second time, really appreciate you coming back on the Water Values Podcast. Uh, thanks so much, uh, and and we're going to be you know having this as part two of our discussion about water capitalism. So uh, thank you both for coming back on. I'm delighted to be here. All right, I'm glad glad to be here too. Yeah, great to hear your voice again, Peter. Uh, uh, Peter, we've got your um, uh, background uh, back in episode 103, so you can you can listen if you if you want to listen to that episode before listening to this one, you can find it at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one zero three. 
so you can hear Peter's background on that. But Walter, I'll ask you for your background about uh, you know how you got interested in water and uh, a little bit just about you know what you're doing these days and and a little background on yourself. Okay, well, first of all, I have to flash you. I have to show you our book. Uh, <laughs> is it clear there? It, it uh, is, but the, the, the listeners aren't going to be able to see it because we don't have the – they're not going to have the video feed. Oh, no? No. They'll miss our pretty face. <laughs> That's horrible. You should uh, try to do it uh, video and uh, audio and video, both, if well, you can. I'm not that technologically advanced. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll just uh, stick with the audio. Uh, <laughs> what happened was I uh, wrote a book called the hell did I call it? Privatized. Ah, here it is. I I, I won't show it to you. <laughs> uh, video doesn't count. But I wrote a book called Privatization of Roads and Highways. And my motto is: if it moves, privatize it. If it doesn't move, privatize it. And since everything either moves or doesn't move privatize everything. And I didn't really want to get into privatizing the post office or privatizing, I don't know, sanitation removal, because that seemed too easy. Whereas roads was much more, uh, more of a challenge. And I wrote a book saying, you know, we should privatize roads and highways, we'd save a lot of lives, and the economy would be better, and etc. And then I wanted to write a book on privatizing um, Oceans, rivers, lakes, aquifers, mud puddles, any any aqueous substance. And the problem is that I didn't really know much. Well, <laughs> I was going to say the problem is I didn't really know much about the subject. Uh, but that's true. I didn't really know that much about the subject. Like I don't know about pressure of water and tidal waves and stuff like that. Uh, I just had this idea that whatever it is, it should be privatized. It's better than non-ownership or government ownership. And then I wrote to some people, uh, I forget, on some blog or whatever, and I said, I'm looking for a co-author who knows a little bit about the technical aspects of water. And uh, I gave some sort of problem about Florida. There was some lake in Florida, and that's one of the chapters in our book, Water Capitalism. And I asked uh, anyone to write me an article, and then I would pick somebody uh, to be my co-author on that basis. And several people wrote back, and what I said is, look, if I don't pick you, you're free to get it published as an article. And uh, Peter, uh, my co-author, Peter Bolthian Nelson, wrote what I considered by far the best uh, head and shoulders over anyone else uh, article on on this Floridian uh, lake or river or something. I forget what it was. And uh, not only did he write a beautiful article on that, but we've become friends and we realize that we're really in sync on, on libertarianism in general. I, I hope you'll agree with me, Peter, when I say that. And uh, then we wrote this book, um, Why Should We Privatize uh, Oceans, Rivers, and Lakes? And now uh, we well, also have to in just a, just a minute. Uh, yes, I do agree with that. I think uh, we're really in sync. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and not only are we in sync, but we look alike. We, we don't have too much head on our hair and head on our hair, hair on our head and we have little beards, and uh, and now uh, Peter and I have written a, a second book together, um, privatizing space um, uh, colonization and the space race. Uh, we're still looking for a publisher for that, but we've pretty much written that entire book. So it's been a marvelous uh, co-author uh, partnership experience with Peter, 
And uh, that's how I got into this because uh, I'm sort of maybe more of a theoretician of libertarianism. I've been at it longer than Peter, and Peter is way more of a uh, an expert in water pressure and, and uh, oil pressure and, and liquids and, and stuff like that. And the same thing with our book on science. He's much more into uh, – uh, you know, how, how do you uh, get to Mars? Or how do you get to the moon and stuff? So we had a, a, a very good uh, partnership because we each have strengths that are a little different than the other guy. And uh, we sort of cover each other's weakness. So I think that's a very good marriage or partnership or a co-authorship. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, uh, r- real quick, the premise of the book, Water Capitalism, is that lakes, oceans, rivers, you know, bodies of water should be privatized, correct? Yes, yeah. uh, we, we should privatize. Uh, if it moves, privatize it. If it doesn't move, privatize it. And rivers, lakes, oceans, aquifers all move or, or don't move. And, well, when they're ice, uh, they don't move much. And when they're water, they move a bit. And, uh, you know, in a sense, it's sort of harder to get your your mind around privatizing water. It's easier to privatize the I-10 or the I-20 or the uh, I-95 or the I-5 or something like that. But water is sort of a pain in the neck, if I can uh, put it in that way, because, you know, first these molecules, they're in the ocean, and then they go up into the clouds, and then they rain on some mountain somewhere, and then uh, they they come back through a river and back into the ocean. It's sort of a circular thing, and, you know, where do you draw the line? Who owns what? It's a much more uh, difficult uh, challenge, I, I, I think, than uh, my Rhodes book, and, and probably even more than the space book, because at least in, in space, uh, you're dealing with stuff, tangible stuff that sort of sits there. I mean, the moon sits there, the Mars sits there. Uh, it's harder to get there than to get to the ocean or the river, but uh, the ocean and the river are, are sort of, they keep, you know, it's sort of like trying to press water down in the bathtub. It, it comes up, <laughs> you can't press it down. It's uh, So I think this book is, of the three that I've been involved in, is, is the most difficult. But my motto here is water is just fast-moving land, and land is slow-moving water. Because we do have land that moves. We have mudslides. And just because we have mudslides doesn't mean we can't have private ownership of land. And then we do have uh, water that doesn't move, namely ice. It's just as solid uh, up in the Arctic or the Antarctic. Uh, So uh, it's just a continuum. It's not that water is so ineffable and so effervescent that we can't privatize it. The only thing we can't privatize water would be if it's uh, non-scarce. And there are parts of water maybe that are non-scarce. So we don't have to worry about that. But But the oceans are now becoming more and more scarce. And certainly the rivers uh, and most lakes are very scarce in the sense that uh, more people want to use them than there's room for them. So we have to decide who gets them. And the best way to decide that is private property rights. Right. And and one of the things I uh, discussed with Peter last time was, uh, you know, for example, shipping lanes in and. Well, I guess my – perhaps I misunderstood it back at the time was I was under the impression, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the entire ocean would be, would be kind of owned by a, uh, an entity or, or, or certain coordinates of the ocean would be owned by an entity. But, but after kind of talking with Peter, you know, it was kind of like whoever was the first one to use that, a certain shipping lane would have the rights to use that shipping lane if they continued to – to use it. Is that kind of 
is that kind of the foundation of the, am I understanding that correctly? What, how, 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 how is the system of property rights when you privatize an ocean going to be brought forth? Well, that's very much the way we see it. Uh, the, um, it's really very similar to any other kind of uh, homesteading act. The, the first person to put it to use takes possession of it. Like you said, I think that's important, the distinction you make, though, uh, as long as you continue to use it. Uh, you know, if you um, abandon it, uh, we discuss that to some extent in our book, uh, you know, how you abandon it and what it means and so forth. But, uh, yeah, uh, you put it to use and uh, you continue to use it and you make it a part of yourself. Right. And, and, and so in this, in a situation where, so, so no one per se owns the ocean until it's taken dominion of, right? So that you're not, it's not like, um, FCC bandwidth where they auction off the spectrums, you know, there's no government entity that's going to say, uh, you know, essentially pass title to the entire ocean. Is that, am I? Well, let me expand, expand, uh, expand that just a little bit. When it comes to radio waves, uh, I would, and I presume Walter also would, uh, believe in privatizing that also. In other words, uh, a person uh, opens up a radio station with a certain frequency and uh, takes possession of that frequency, and we would, uh, I would, uh, see no part uh, for the... Uh, government to play in that well in fact we in fact we discussed that uh radio waves as an analogy in in our book sorry walter you're going to say something yeah uh i i think that uh, uh peter has uh articulated the anarchist position that the government would have no role to play at all i would just add the minarchist position or the limited government position that the government would have some role uh, i i'm an anarchist but uh, if uh, if you were a minarchist or you believe in, in government it would have some limited role of uh, uh you know like suppose my wavelengths impinged upon peter's wavelengths and now we had a a jarring because uh, you know uh, one wavelength uh, interferes with the other wavelength, well, then uh, uh, the government would have to uh, adjudicate and say, you know, where, uh, where the boundaries lay. It would be similar if, we, uh, if Peter and I uh, both homesteaded some land and now we had a dispute as to where the uh, border should be. And he said it should be three feet over this way, and I said, no, it should be four feet over that way. We would go to court <clears throat> for the anarchists. It would be a private court for, the government, uh, for people who believe in government. It would be a government court. And, and uh, the government would just uh, uh, adjudicate uh, uh, boundary disputes. But uh, assuming that there's no dispute, yes, uh, Peter has wavelength one, I have wavelength two, and, and uh, David, you have wavelength three. And as long as we don't impinge upon each other's property, uh, there's no uh, dispute. So uh, the wavelength and the radio waves would be uh, a perfect case in point. And Ronald Coase, who I'm not a real big fan of, but on this one, I, I think Peter and I are, uh, wrote about this uh, very eloquently and very correctly. Uh, and it's like any homesteading. You go back to John Locke, the first guy uh, there uh, uh, mixes his labor with the land or the water or the wavelengths or whatever it is. 
And I would just add one complication that sometimes it need not be one person that owns it. For example, take the Mississippi River. Uh, there are many people that have been using it, and it's really hard to figure out who used it first. So I would say, uh, and again, I'll, I'll ask Peter if he would agree with me, I suspect he would, that uh, those people who've been using it, uh, the, the people who use the boats uh, that go up and down, you know, those uh, tugboats or, or the, the ships, or people who own land on the side of it, uh, on the side of the Mississippi River, we would assume that they've been using it to swim or fish or boat or whatever it is. And maybe what we would do is uh, uh, figure out, uh, you know, maybe there's 100,000 people who own uh, one share each of the Mississippi River, and now we have a thing called the Mississippi River Corporation, where 100,000 people own one share each. I would just add one more thing to what, what Peter said about uh, abandoning and not using it. We, I, 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 or at least me, I, I think I speak for Peter, but if not, Peter, then you correct me. Uh, you don't have to continually use it. There can be such a thing as an absentee owner. Uh, I mix my la uh, labor with uh, a farm, and now I rent it to you. And uh, I'm not using it anymore, or I leave it fallow for one out of every seven years or something like that. As long as I don't abandon it, I still own it. So once you homestead something, you own it forever until you abandon it, And but you don't have to keep using it. For example, my car right now is uh, parked in, in the parking lot in, in, my, in my school, and I'm not using my car now, but if uh, Peter or you, David, uh, grab my car while I'm not using it, I would be very miffed. So uh, unless I abandon the, the car, yes, then uh, it, anyone else can take it over. But until I actually abandon it, uh, I don't have to keep using it in order to own it. As long as I uh, mix my labor with it sufficiently to own it, and, you know, in, in case of land, I think the uh, system was you have to put three crops in for three years or something like that. I forget what the, the rule was. Uh, so uh, I would just add that to what Peter said. Well, okay, who's, who's the body that, in, in the event of disputes, who's the body that determines whether or not you abandoned it? If, if you're talking about the ocean, uh, because, you know, that's, there's no government authority that has jurisdiction over, you know, exclusive jurisdiction over that. I mean, so, so who do you go to if you have a dispute? Well, now you're asking a very different question. You're almost changing the subject, which is okay because, you know, the, the subjects are not uninterrelated. But uh, it's a very different question. Now you're really asking a question of anarchy versus government. You're not really talking about ownership of water or land or frequency or anything. You're asking, in case of any adjudicate, look, I now uh, ship you uh, 100 cows. And I want you to pay me for 100 cows. And you say, well, I only got 90 cows and 10 of them were sick. Well, who adjudicates that? Well, uh, if you're an anarchist, there are private courts. And if you're a minarchist libertarian, uh, the, the government does. And uh, yes, there's no government on the oceans now. And uh, for the anarchists, that's no problem. For the minarchists, we'll have a world government or the UN or somebody like that. Uh, so, But it's a very different question as to who adjudicates disputes over X uh, is a different question than who should own X. Okay, well, I guess as a lawyer, um, the way I kind of look at it is is the government sets up the framework for how property can be owned. It sets up, you know, the the ways that property can be owned. Like our, you know, the state legislature will establish statutes and and all this in terms of how real property is conveyed, rights pertaining to natural resources like water. Um, and if you have an issue, then you go to 
whatever court the the uh, state's going to provide you jurisdiction in. And like these property rights we're talking about that you've mentioned regarding, you know, if you have a, if you if you use a shipping lane in the ocean uh, and then someone interferes with that shipping lane, who are you going to go to under under this uh, framework that that you've established? Because you have to, it, it, at least the way I, I look at it, you have to have the government there uh, in some form to ensure or to, to, to set up the system of property rights. Well, that would make you uh, uh, speaking in favor of the minarchist point of view. Well, uh, real we, we talked last time uh, that I was on concerning uh, how one would, uh, would resolve situations like that. And uh, I brought up the point of view of trust. In other words, uh, there would be uh, business people who are running court systems who would uh, step in and adjudicate a, a situation like that. And you said, well, where did they get their authority? Uh, well, they get their authority from the trust. But the same thing exactly applies to, uh, to the minarchist type of government. Why would I go to the government court to uh, resolve my problem with Walter over, over this violation of a shipping lane? And uh, we, we would go to the, to the government because we trust them. Well, why would I go to the U.S. government as opposed to the uh, Chinese government? Uh, it would have to do with who do we trust? Well, I would add to that. Uh, I, I certainly agree with Peter on this. Uh, again, uh, let me reiterate, this is not a question about water. This is a question about uh, anarchy versus limited government. And when you say as a lawyer, you would go to the government, I would uh, uh, offer a, a slight correction and say, no, no, not as a lawyer, because if you were an anarchist lawyer, you wouldn't say that. You're a minarchist lawyer, and as a minarchist, whether lawyer or, uh, uh, I don't know, engineer, you would go to the government. And you're right that in the case of the ocean, it is not clear which government you go to. If it's the case of Mississippi River, and uh, Peter owns the Mississippi River, and uh, he floods your, uh, uh, whatever, uh, uh, your land, uh, you go to the U.S. government. Uh, and it's unclear as even which state you go to, probably the state that you're in. Uh, you're in uh, Indiana. Well, I don't know if the Mississippi River runs there, but whatever state you're in, and if there was a question of uh, two different states, you go to federal. Well, then if I'm a minarchist, I would go to the world government. And uh, that would be either the U.N. or some sort of uh, world government. Uh, but, again, that's not our problem. Uh, that's not Peter's and my problem because we didn't write a book on anarchism. We wrote a book on, on water. <laughs> right, right. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm, so I'm just trying to understand. It, let's, say, let's say that, that people adopted your view and lakes, oceans uh, started to become privatized. I guess I'm just – I, I'm trying to understand the system under which, because if, if you're going to start using property, you're going to want to make sure that you have, uh, you know, you're not going to invest in property unless you have some reasonable expectation that you're going to, you know, you're not going to lose your investment. And I just want, I, I, and I'm just trying, I'm struggling with how, how are people going, how would people make the investment if, 
they aren't insured that that investment's going to go away. And I'm talking about like in a shipping lane or, so, uh, you know, Peter, we talked last time about a school of fish. How are they going to make that investment uh, without, without a, a form of government or, or a, at least a, a tribunal where they can go to say, you know, someone messed with my investment, give it, you know, make me whole again. Well, this tribunal doesn't have to be the government. Um, but again, we're back to talking about uh, uh, who's running tribunals. Um, I think we agree. I agree with you that, uh, yeah, you have to be able to. And I'm not sure tribunal's the right thing here. We have to be able to assert our property rights. Uh, certainly, a tribunal is a is an aspect of uh, of asserting uh, my property rights. And if 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 uh, if I have a uh, a property and somebody uh, trespasses in it, um, I may need. Uh, I don't think it's the only way, but I may need a tribunal to uh, resolve that situation. Um, yeah, I agree. Okay. With you. Okay. David, what's wrong with the world? My answer: the world government. We just go to the world government. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can trust that. well, that's the world government. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I don't know that such a thing exists. Um, well, um, we'll, we'll we'll create one. Okay. But we're getting off the subject of. of Oh, right. Okay. So, right. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, because um, you were you were talking earlier about uh, and and what ran through my mind, and I can't remember exactly what the example you gave was, but but what ran through my mind was a kind of like what, what when you own a property right in the ocean, you're really owning kind of a a geographic uh, some geographic coordinates, or because the water moves. And so the waves will go through the area in which the water will pass through the area in which you have your rights. Is that kind of correct? Uh, not necessarily. Um, for in the case of an ocean line, uh, uh, ocean lane, yes. But take the uh, school of fish that we talked about earlier, for example. Uh, that's not a geographical location. That's uh, the fish. Uh, that happen to swim around, and they might be anywhere. Uh, so I have to be able to assert my property right in that uh, in that school of fish. It isn't necessary. I mean, it could be geometrical. I could build a fence around them. You mean geographical? Uh, I said geometrical. Oh, ge <coughs> geographic could be geographical. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Uh, however. Um, it doesn't have to be, at least in my view, it doesn't have to be. Well, there's an analogy with uh, uh, cattle. Uh, uh, before the invention of barbed wire, the way uh, people would assert property rights in cattle was be by branding. Now, was there cattle rustling? Yes, there was cattle rustling, and there will be fish rustling, but that's not the point. I mean, there will always be 1% of people who are criminals. Let's forget about them and look at the civilized people. Uh, yes, we had branding. Well, we could do branding right now, 
by sticking maybe not in the little baby fish, but um, uh, in the whales. The whales are bigger fish. Um, they're mammals, but let's call them fish. What the heck? Uh, you just stick some sort of uh, electronic device into the whale, and now that's your whale. And, and it, it's sort of like your branded cattle. And, and when it comes time to, you know, uh, get all the cattle and, uh, at the end of the season, well, then you get your whale. But another way would be, uh, a, a, I think, a more technologically uh, savvy way or a more progressive way. Uh, when you go from branding, you go to barbed wire. They couldn't go to fences because they didn't have enough wood, and the cattle can knock down most fences anyway. But barbed wire, they couldn't. Well, we now have the technology to have electronic fences in the ocean. Uh, the reason we don't do it is because the government will not, um, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, give its imprimatur to the legality of it. But we could put in fences, and uh, there'd be no more fish freedom any more than there's now cattle freedom. You know, the fish would stay where we want them to stay. So uh, another uh, possibility, uh, instead of uh, branding, would be uh, barbed wire in the oceans, in effect, only it would have to be electric wire, not not metal wire. And, uh, you know, uh, yes, the whales and, and a lot of fish need um, uh, uh, scope to, to move around, uh, but we could control them. The, the big problem for us, I think, would be salmon, because salmon don't have the decency to stay put in the ocean. <laughs> and and you know, if they had any decency, they would just sort of stay within 100 square miles. But no, these rotten fish, you know, they go to the – to the ocean, and then they go to the river, and then they go to the, some little stream, or God knows where they go. They're a pain in the neck. They're not libertarian. We want libertarian fish like whales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> we do discuss this in our book, and, and we admit that salmon are a, a, a challenge in a ways that whales and, and cod are, are not. Uh, speaking of fish, I, I wanted to mention the, the debate between uh, the bet between um, these two guys over, uh, are we running out of resources? One was Julian Simon, and the other was Paul Ehrlich. And they had a, a bet, a $10,000 bet, as to whether we're running out of resources or not. And our guy, Julian Simon, the Libertarian, won. Namely, we weren't running out of resources. The prices of resources, relative prices, were falling. And after Paul Ehrlich lost the bet, now I'm getting back to fish. What he said is, okay, I want to have another bet with you, Paul Simon, uh, Julian Simon, and uh, we're running out of fish. And, um, and we are running out of fish because uh, you have the tragedy of the commons. People are just grabbing up uh, salmon and, and, and other fish and whales and stuff, and we're running out of them. And then uh, Julian Simon said, but let's include farm fish. And then um, Paul Ehrlich said, well, let's forget about that bet, because uh, the point is, when you have farm fish, the fish stay where we want them to stay. And all we're saying, in effect, uh, again, I, I, I can't speak for Peter, but I think we're on the same wavelength, we want the whole ocean to be farm fish, in effect. Got it. So uh, can, let's shift gears and talk about how, how, did, how do we transition uh, – from the existing system of water rights around, the, you know, the, I think the U.S. is the easiest to, to discuss at this juncture. But how do, how, do we, how do we transition from current systems of property rights relating to water to this libertarian uh, property rights system that you are advocating? Well, we talked about that on our last podcast. And, and so for me, this is going over, over old ground. So I'll let... Uh, um, 
Walter talk about uh, about that subject, and he may have a slightly different cast. Okay, and you can always add to, uh, you know, uh, expand on what I say. Uh, the way I look at these problems is I look to analogies. Uh, how did the, the Soviet Union privatize their uh, collective farms and their factories and, and, and their the office buildings and stuff like that? They didn't do too well. There was a lot of oligarchs that grabbed it up, but uh, they went through the same problem. In other words, th this problem would not be unique to us. Another case in point was a thing called BRIC, B-C-R-I-C, British Columbia Resources Investment Corporation. When the NDP, the New Democratic Party, which is the Socialist Party of Canada, when it was the provincial government, it had all sorts of uh, crown corporations, which means um, uh, sort of the Sovietization of stuff like uh, 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 lumber mills and, and forests and, and mines and stuff like that. And then when the uh, uh, Social Credit Party, with more free enterprise party, came in, what they decided to do is to get rid of the Crown Corporation or the, the uh, nationalized corporation of BRIC, and it was a whole bunch of things. And what they did is they said, okay, here's BRIC, and we're going to give every citizen of British Columbia five shares in this new corporation, a private corporation called BRIC. Well, that's another way to do it. Uh, a third way was the way I mentioned with the uh, Mississippi River. What we do is we try to find out who owns those boats that ply their way up and down the Mississippi River, who are the people that put levees in, and who are the people that, well, the government does that, so we, they can't own it, but who are the people that swim in there, who are the people that fish there, who are the people that own land on the side of, of the Mississippi River, and we uh, make some sort of... Uh, uh, look, uh, what did they say? Uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. We're never going to get it perfect. But if we want to privatize the Mississippi River, what we'll say is, okay, you own uh, 10 miles of uh, coastline along Mississippi River. You get 10 shares. I own three boats. I get 30 shares, whatever the, the criteria is. And let me just mention why it's important to privatize the Mississippi River. 1,900 people died in, in my uh, home city of New Orleans uh, in the aftermath of Katrina. But it wasn't Katrina's fault. Katrina missed us by 40 miles and went east. The problem was those levees fell. And who put in those levees? The Army Corps of Engineers. Now, if the Army Corps of Engineers was the private owner of something and they killed 1,900 people, you know that they wouldn't be in business anymore. Uh, somebody else would take over. Look, if McDonald's poisons, God forbid, people, uh, Burger King and Wendy's will take over. That's why we have pretty good burgers. Well, we want to have a pretty good Mississippi River. We don't want Mississippi River to be killing people. And the Army Corps of Engineers uh, screwed up. And uh, in the ordinary course of capitalism, if you screw up and you screw up badly, you lose. you got to lose something. And, and then other people take over the ownership of the Mississippi River. Uh, so that's why we should do it and how we should do it, to get back to your question, is this rough way that the Soviet Union did it, that British Columbia did it. Uh, there are other um, uh, privatizations. You know, uh, a school building isn't uh, used anymore. Well, see, we don't like that idea. Uh, what they do is they have an auction for uh, government land. Look, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, owns east of the Mississippi, I don't know, maybe 10% of all the land. West of the Mississippi, maybe 50% of all the land, 70% of all the land. Well, let's take land as an easy an analog. Suppose we wanted to privatize, uh, I mean, Nevada, most of Nevada is owned by the, the government. How would we privatize it? Well, one way is we have an auction. 
The problem with the auction is um, the, the government gets the money, and the, and the government has more money than uh, Peter and I would like it to have. Another way is we figure out who's been homesteading the, this stuff. Now, there was this case in, uh, was it Nevada somewhere, where some guy had his cattle on BLM land? and, the, Bund and the, uh, Yes, Bundy in Nevada. Bundy. That's it, Bundy. Uh, Bundy should own that land because he's been using it for years. He's the homesteader of it, even though the government claims that the government didn't homestead squat. So that would be my rough answer to your question of how do you uh, do the process of a conversion of uh, oceans from uh, uh, either non-ownership or government ownership to private hands. We look at how we've done that with land and, and with factories and with farms and other things, and we, we do the best we can. Uh, we, we can't do it perfectly, but as I say, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Right, right. So, uh, Peter, anything? Do you have any additional thoughts on on kind of that conversion process? I mean, last time we talked, you you expressed some um, concern about the people that are going to be hurt by privatization. Um, you know, existing rights holders and things like that uh, that would be would be injured. And I'm kind of Curious, you know, have, have, do you have any different thoughts on that? Or, uh, and if you don't, I'll ask Walter about that. Uh, no, I, I uh, I'm uh, in agreement with what Walter said. I, I forget uh, what analogies we use, but we might have used, for example, taxi medallions. I forget if we actually talked about that. We do talk about that in our book. Uh, the deal with uh, taxi uh, medallions is there's nothing just about a taxi medallion at all. I mean, how can anybody justify that unless you happen to be a medallion holder? And if all and if you paid a million bucks for a New York City taxi medallion, and all of a sudden New York City says uh, we're not going to have uh, taxi medallions anymore, it's an open season. Whoever wants to run a taxi can. Well, uh, those. Uh, uh, taxi medallion holders uh, are injured by that. And you can also talk about uh, some of those being relatively innocent people. Uh, you know, if uh, somebody goes out and buys a, uh, a taxi medallion, he's doing that on the basis of, well, that's the way it's done. And so we're sensitive to the fact that that person is injured. And, uh, and, and so that, that becomes a uh, like I said last time, and I uh, continue to maintain, that's a very uh, sticky, difficult problem. Um, however, uh, it's something that uh, because of the injustice of the system, it has to be done. And uh, as Walter says, uh, the perfect is the innocent of the good. We, we're, we are going to make some mistakes in this, uh, but uh, we're looking for a better system without taxi medallions. Well, I have a slightly different view uh, uh, than Peter on this. Uh, with the, see, first of all, there wouldn't be any exact uh, case in water where people have a, a medallion in water, I don't think. But 
I don't think that uh, here Peter and I diverge a little bit. I don't think that the people who buy those medallions are as innocent as Peter thinks they are. I think that, you know, when you're in league with the devil, and as an anarchist, I think the government is the devil. When you're in league with the devil, you sort of have to um, pay your uh, pay your fine or whatever it is when the forces of justice come in. Look, take Uber. Uh, the Uber people want to just drive around and pick up people, and, and the medallion people don't much like Uber. Well, uh, I think that the uh, medallion people are uh, in league with the government. They bought government privilege. Uh, I, I wouldn't be as um, happy to uh, help them. And, yes, they lost, but it was an entrepreneurial decision of theirs. They could have uh, uh, engaged in uh, building, uh, making candy or, uh, I don't know, shoes or something. They chose to uh, to, uh, uh, to buy a permit from the government, which prevents other people from exercising their freedom, namely to drive around and pick people up and, and um, uh, you know, charge them like Uber. So I'm not as uh, sympathetic to the uh, taxi medallion people as Peter is. I, I would uh, say, look, uh, Uber has a right to do whatever it damn well pleases, and, and, and the Uber system is much better. They have less flexible prices. I mean, look, when, uh, when um, uh, what do you call it, Walmart came in and when supermarkets came in, the mom-and-pop stores lost out. But, you know, we economists have this view that, um, what is it, um, the market benefits all participants. All participants. The point is, look, uh, when when Henry Ford came in with cars, uh, you know the blacksmiths lost out. But the point is that blacksmiths were no longer part of the market. All market participants benefit from the market, but not everybody is always a market participant. For example, David, I now offer you this watch uh, uh, for a, a million dollars. Want to buy it? No. Uh, would anyone want to buy my watch? Uh, it's a Timex watch I bought for 10 bucks. Anyone want to buy it for a million bucks? No. Am I a market participant with regards to selling this watch? No. Uh, so the market benefits all participants, but the blacksmiths, when the car came in, are no longer market participants. I'm not a market participant when I'm trying to sell this stupid uh, wristwatch. And the, uh, 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 the taxi medallion people are not market participants. So uh, I'm, I'm not as sympathetic uh, as I could be. I should be, maybe. Yes, it's a personal tragedy. People will lose money. But those are the bad guys. They were in league with the government. So I'm, I'm not that sympathetic with them. But again, getting back to water, I don't see any analogy uh, to water. Uh, I don't see who's going to be hurt by privatizing Mississippi River. Well, yes, no, Peter is right. There will be people hurt by the privatization of Mississippi River, namely the Army Corps of Engineers and all the government bureaucrats. They'll be out of a job. And I say, yeah, tough, too bad. Uh, you're, you're, on the, you're the bad guy. The hell with you. You know, uh, look, suppose we try to privatize sanitation or the post office. The, the, the uh, you know, the, the private postal workers are much more efficient than the government. Well, now all of these private, uh, these people working for the U.S. post office and, and working for the, uh, the city sanitation, they'll be out of a job and bad sense to them, good riddance to them because they're the enemy. Didn't let's say fair capitalism uh, uh that's that's kind of what everyone thinks of as the Industrial Revolution, that period. And there were all kinds of pollution and things like that. And, and you know, people would just dump their toxic waste and things of that nature. And it, and that's why regulations, you know, regulation to you is protection to someone else. So how, 
How do you answer that from a from a water property rights perspective? Well, first of all, when you when you talk about uh, that dumping that's going on, in the first place, when that first started to happen, uh, the the uh, grounds or rivers in which the dumping occurred were not scarce. However, when that pollution started to affect other people, that's when it became scarce. And that's when uh, the various um, societies, if you will, made a mistake and went to the government. Rather than saying from the point of view of, hey, wait a minute, I already homesteaded this river. It's mine. Why are you dumping in it? And, uh, address it from a uh, trespass point of view instead of a regulatory point of view. Well, I uh, the only thing I would add to uh, what Peter said is, yay, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. It's a trespass. And if you're an anarchist, the private court will stop trespassers. And if you're a government uh, person, well, then the government's got to stop it. But the government allowed this. See, what happened, Murray Rothbard wrote, I think, the best uh, piece ever written on air pollution. It wasn't water pollution, but the same thing. And what he said is in the 1830s, uh, there was a spate of uh, environmental cases. They were called the nuisance cases in those days where some little old lady would go to court and say, I hung out my washing on the clothesline. When I hung it out, it was wet and clean. I come back two hours. It's dry, but it's dirty. And guess where the dirt came from? It came from that there factory over there three miles away. Or some farmer would go to court and say, well, that railroad, it sparks three, 300, 500 feet. It caught my haystacks on fire. And what I want in both cases is two things. I want an injunction and I want damages. And in, in the 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s, uh, the courts were open to this. The, the environmental plaintiff didn't always win, but uh, if he, uh, the burden of proof is on the uh, plaintiff always. And if the burden of proof was met by the plaintiff, uh, it was seen as a trespass, and they were given an injunction. Uh, namely, the court would say, you keep doing that, we're going to put your rear end in jail, and they were given damages. And things were good until the progressive period of the 19, uh, 1890s, 1900, 1910. And at that time, the U.S. wanted to be the number one world power, Great Britain was, and how do you become the great uh, world power? By letting little old ladies run roughshod over factories and letting stupid little farmers run roughshod over uh, 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 trespassing railroads? No. Now the court said, yes, yes, they're violating your stinking, lousy private property rights, which is selfish and uh, unjust, and um, the hell with you. Uh, but. They did uh, give them one sop. They said, we'll have minimum smokestack height regulations. And uh, now the problem, instead of under the rug, is into the clouds. See, when we had, uh, uh, in the 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s, when, when we had just law, people were led by the invisible hand to use cleaner burning anthracite coal, even though it was more expensive. They were led to uh, put uh, a spark uh, prevention things on the railroads. They were led to uh, uh, put uh, meshes in their chimneys to capture not all of the 
the uh, pollution. I mean, we breathe out. That's pollution. Uh, in law, there's a thing called de minimis. The law is not concerned with trifles. So if you get rid of 98% of the pollution or 95% of the pollution, you're doing pretty well. So you had all of these good things. But now, when in the uh, progressive period, uh, uh, when, when the law will not uh, protect property owners against trespass, why should you use um, uh, anthracite coal? Uh, instead of uh, dirty, burning, cheaper uh, sulfur coal. And if you did, you'd go broke because your uh, competitors would be using the, the lousy coal. So the problem here is, just as Peter said, it's one of trespass. And, and the government, you know, encouraged trespass. Then they had this stupid Clean Air Act. No, no, you got to go by, uh, by trespass. And, uh, again, I've been discussing uh, air pollution, but the same thing with water pollution. If I dump stuff into your Mississippi River, I'm a trespasser. They should put me in jail. I shouldn't be able to do that unless I have your permission. Now, not every bit of land uh, should be pristine. We have to have garbage dumps. Well, maybe some uh, lake uh, uh, should be a, a garbage dump. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you got to keep that garbage to yourself. And, and if the stuff gets out of the lake and into a river, well, then the river owner is going to say, hey, lake owner, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? You just can't do that. So I would predict, uh, as, a, as a social scientist, not as a libertarian, that no water would be uh, used as a dump, and we would just dump crap in, into, uh, into uh, garbage dumps. Right. So, so, you know, so let's say, let's say fair capitalism, essentially what you're saying, it's seeded. I, I think market power has a lot to do with it. And the corporations, you know, they would go to their state legislatures and say, do away with this cause of action. And so we moved away because of the market power of certain sectors of the economy moved us in that direction. And, and I, I mean, frankly, I, I just don't, I don't see – I know you've used the – you've said anarchy a number of times. I just don't see that being – you know, no, I, I just don't see anyone, uh, at least a, not a majority of, of folks, saying, yeah, we ought to be anarchists and, and have a country with no government because I think that just makes people saying, well, all this – all my property is going to be subject to – I mean people think of chaos when they think of anarchy. Well, I, I admit that I'm a, uh, in the minority on this. Uh, as are uh, all the people who think the way I do, I merely advocate it <clears throat> as, a, <clears throat> as a more just uh, system uh, where uh, one uh, designated group, uh, I would say self-designated group, uh, feels the right to uh, take control over other people. I just can't come to a uh, – I mean, I'm not sure what – you know, I'm not sure we're really talking about water here. So <laughs> You're right. About, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that it's my view that uh, the injustice is in one group imposing their view on another. And uh, I just can't get there myself. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We're not. We've kind of moved beyond, and that's I think because the discussion of water it would necessarily implicate uh, under this system a discussion of you know kind of control over water and things like that. So I, I think that's kind of why we've morphed into this this other area. 
let me add a bit to this. Um, I agree again with Peter 100%. Uh, I thought this interview was going to be on water. It's, it's turning into anarchy, and uh, we've only got about 10 minutes to go, so I don't know that we can do justice to anarchy, but I'd be happy to do another interview with you where we forget about water and we just talk about anarchy. And I'll try to convert you to the one true faith, namely anarchism, because, you know, you're wallowing in statism. Uh, but I agree with you on this crony capitalist business, that the large corporations are always uh, a danger, always trying to subvert the, the proper law, and uh, that's something we have to watch out for. Uh, but, look, we still have ten minutes if you want. Yeah. I can give you uh, yeah, let's, a little bit of what, 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 conversion. No, no, that's okay. Let's, uh, well, so, so from a water from a, a water libertarian water perspective, what, what do you – what's kind of your final message here? In the Soviet Union, uh, the land, the private land in the form of gardens in the front and the back of the uh, workers' houses was 3% of the arable land, and they produced 25% of the crops. The uh, collectivized farms owned 97% uh, of the land, and they produced 97 uh, and they produced 70, uh, uh, 75% of the uh, crops. Let me say those numbers again. Private ownership was 3%. They produced 25% of the crops. Government ownership was 97%. They only produced 75% of the crops. We have something similar with regard to the oceans and the rivers and the lakes. Uh, the GDP, the world GDP, is uh, roughly 99% uh, land and 1% water, and yet the water is 75% of the Earth's surface. This is uh, it's a little unfair this comparison, because most people live on land, not on oceans. But still, there's a, a, a gigantic uh, uh, disproportion between how we use water and how we use land. And on the water, we have the tragedy of the commons. We have fish uh, disappearing. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, all sorts of uh, tragedy of the commons, which is why the uh, Soviet collectivized uh, agriculture was very bad. It was the tragedy of the commons. And what we're saying, or what I'm saying, I'm sure Peter would agree with me, is that if we privatize the oceans, the rivers and the lakes, we'd uh, be a lot wealthier than we are now. And uh, we'd cure poverty. And, and everyone wants to cure poverty. This is a way of curing poverty. I mean, wealth is the opposite of poverty. And not only that, but also ethics. It's unethical to have uh, government ownership because uh, we anarchists believe that government is per se unethical, and the less uh, involvement it has, the better. And uh, so non-ownership is unethical, and uh, government ownership is unethical. Only private property is ethical. I mean, we, we sort of the, – the American ethos is private property rights. And uh, we're just applying this ethos uh, to an area that it hitherto hasn't been applied to. And I did it uh, with Peter in this um, uh, water capitalism, and I did it on my own on roads and highways. Uh, and uh, Peter and I are now doing it with regards to the space race. In, in all cases, we would be much richer and much more ethical if we relied on private property rights than on government or non-ownership. I'd also bring up the subject of uh, sustainability, which is very popular these days. Uh, let's compare, for example, or consider, for example, uh, the buffalo. We nearly uh, had the situation where buffalo went extinct. Uh, why? Because nobody owned uh, the buffalo. 
they just uh, roamed around and people went around and uh, shot them and, or uh, bow and arrowed them if they were uh, Native Americans. But they, uh, the point is uh, they weren't owned and so they nearly went extinct. Now they're privately owned and they're resurgent. The fish in the ocean, uh, orange roughy, are nearly extinct. Why? Nobody owns them. Nobody husbands them. Nobody cares for them. Uh, and, and so they they go. Uh, they are headed for extinction uh, unless someone can figure out how to take private ownership of them. Same thing with the water itself. The the water becomes overused, overutilized, and polluted. And the attempt to regulate it is at best a pure thing, a, a, an, a, an imperfect thing, because you always have, uh, um, can't think of the word now, but you always have uh, poachers who will go after uh, things uh, that are uh, regulated. In other words, a, a poacher is one that just goes ahead and does it anyway. And he's furthermore, those regulations incentivize the poacher to do it because the regulations drive up the price while it uh, at the same time driving down the supply. So the, uh, the poacher is encouraged to do this. In a private system, that poacher is a trespasser who's actually injuring a specific person, and you can go after after that uh, that uh, thief or trespasser, whatever he is. Whereas the poacher, eh, so what? He's he's violating a few regulations. I, I would just want to add one thing. I think that uh, Peter's point about the buffalo is very uh, very pertinent. Uh, in California. My my data might be a little out of uh, uh, date, but uh, farmers pay five dollars an acre foot. City dwellers pay five hundred an acre foot. Th this is a misallocation of resources uh, of, uh, of gigantic proportions. The farmers are not allowed to sell their water to the city folk; otherwise, the price of water would be somewhere between five and five hundred. And it's so cheap that they they uh, plant cotton, which needs a lot of water in, in areas where they shouldn't be planting cotton. So that's just another example of uh, rampant government uh, mismanagement of water. Uh, and, you know, they have droughts. And, I mean, we don't have any droughts of, 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 um, of anything except uh, uh, that the government is involved in. You know, uh, Milton Friedman once said that if uh, the government were put in the uh, charge of the sand in the Sahara, they'd, uh, they'd have no sand in the Sahara anymore. So these are all reasons why, I mean, everyone accepts, every free enterpriser accepts, yes, we've got to have free enterprise for shirts and shoes and, and wristwatches and pens. Well, we're just applying the same uh, uh, basic premise to an area, whether, uh, whether it's roads or water or space, that it has, that hasn't been applied, that, that this um, understanding, that this insight hasn't been applied to. We're applying just very pedestrian, mainstream kind of stuff to esoteric cases. Got it. Well, Peter, Walter, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it. I know uh, it, it kind of we went, went went far afield, but I appreciate your taking your time to explain your positions uh, uh, concerning the private ownership of water. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks. For having us. All right. Bye, guys.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Walter Block and Peter Nelson, uh, putting forth their thoughts on water capitalism and why water capitalism makes sense. Um, and I, I really thought it was, was, as I reflected on it, a valuable exercise in listening to, to someone with a differing point of view and, you know, not getting all angry and all that stuff, but, but just debating it back and forth. And, you know, the, I, I try not to um, uh, let, posi- let my positions show and things like that in, the, in this podcast uh, and just kind of let people talk about the things that interest them. Um, I don't always – I'm not always successful at that. And uh, in this one, I, I know I, I was a little adverse. But uh, I thought they did a great job explaining their positions, and I thought it was valuable to, to, to hear that and consider it. So uh, hopefully you got something out of the podcast uh, and, and really thought about, you know, what system of water rights uh, makes sense to you or, or what system of, 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 you know, from an economic perspective, how water ought to be used. Uh, and does that make sense? Uh, does, are, are you kind of the anarchist as, as Walter uh, put forth, uh, or are you a minarchist, or are you more of a regulation person? So, a really uh, interesting, thought-provoking uh, uh, interview, even though it may have been a little uh, uh, off-topic, so to speak, uh, in terms of running a little far afield and getting into the the government uh, oversight or the oversight or the framework type of um, uh, analysis for water. Well, you know, if if any podcast is going to uh, engender the desire to uh, leave a comment on the show notes. Hopefully this one is it. Uh, you can find the show notes at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 110. That's pod 110. Uh, let us know what you thought about it. I'd really, really be interested in hearing what your thoughts on what the property rights uh, are and what your thoughts on property, water property rights are. Are you, are you the anarchist? Are you the minarchist? Or are you more of a regulation person again? Really interested in hearing what you think about that. Uh, before we sign off, I just want to say thank you again for the great ratings and reviews. You can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet at me with the hashtag watervalues, or my handle is at DTM1993. And, you know, as always, uh, thank you for the ratings and reviews, and please do so if you haven't done it already. And thank you for all the donations to help defray the cost of putting the podcast on. Uh, well, in closing... Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me thank you for tuning into the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice further this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment i'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.